I'm glad you clapped. Sometimes I think we feel like we can't clap. It seems unspiritual. Um, I'm glad you clapped because I like that song. I like that song a lot. I like that song because it paints a picture of what Jesus himself said. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. O come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable, come, know you are not alone. Well, let's just keep that paintbrush out, shall we? Let's keep that paintbrush out and let's paint the picture even more and let the truth that Jesus came for sinners be impressed on our hearts today. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, open our eyes this morning that you came for the broken, for the seemingly moral, for the shockingly immoral, and for every shade of sinner in between. And Father, more than that, show us ourselves. Lord, may we look upon who Jesus came to save, not merely as a third party who looks at a painting, but may we see ourselves as the sinners that Jesus came to save. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through examples of who the Bible says Jesus came to save. And you can follow along in the outline if that helps you, but it's pretty simple. First, Jesus came to save the sexually immoral. In John 4, Jesus interacts with this woman at a well as he's passing through from one place to another. And Jesus is an evangelist supreme. And so he takes this opportunity to minister to her. He engages her in conversation. And at some point, he just asks her, Hey, would you go and call your husband and come back and let's talk a little bit more? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know. I know you've had five husbands. And I know the one you're shacking up with now isn't even your husband. I know. Now, two things I want to point out to you about this. One, this is actually a demonstration of Jesus' deity. So Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is God come down in flesh. And one reason we know that is because Jesus knows all things. He knows this woman's past. He knows this woman's present this is testimony to the fact that Jesus is God. That's part of what's going on here. But two, this is a demonstration of who Jesus came for. So why did he expose this woman in this conversation? I think if we were to judge this conversation by today's etiquette, Jesus would come off looking like a royal jerk. Why would he expose her like this? To save her. He wanted to expose her sin, not to condemn her for her sin, but to save her from her sin. And that's exactly what happened. 
After their interaction, she goes back to town where everybody knew her. And she said, come, I want to tell you about a man who told me all I ever did. And so they did, and so many believed. And they said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Guys, this woman was a serial adulteress and fornicator. And Jesus came to save this woman. And this isn't the only example we have of this. In Luke 7, there's a woman described as a sinner. Now, we don't know for sure what exact type of sin she was, sinner she was, but it's very likely that it was sexual in nature. She comes into this house where Jesus is eating a meal with a lot of respectable people like us. She comes in weeping wetting Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping it off with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them. It is a very socially awkward and uncomfortable display of love. And why is she doing it? Because she's been forgiven of much. That's why Jesus goes on to tell the parable that he tells to this Pharisee who was hosting him. He says, hey... This guy was a little shocked that she was doing this, and this guy was even more shocked that Jesus would let it go down. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, I want you to imagine that there's a guy who's got two debtors, one who owes him just a stupid ton of money and another who owes him just a little bit. And let's say, just for a thought experiment, that he forgives them both. Who do you think is going to love him more? And the Pharisee says, the one who's forgiven much. That's this woman. She was forgiven much. She was a known sinner. She was a flagrant sinner. This Pharisee who invited Jesus is like, if he knew who this was, he wouldn't be okay with this. But Jesus is not just okay with this. Jesus came for this. Jesus came to save the sexually immoral. There's a well-known preacher He gives this illustration of uh, he was at a conference and he was actually just in the conference seated and listening and it was a conference on purity and this speaker, sexual purity and the the need for it. And this speaker had a rose and he, he, he said, I want you to just pass around this rose. It was a single rose. He said, I want you to pass it around. I want you to hold it. I want you to touch it. I want you to sniff it. I want you to feel it. I want you to just get a sense for, for how beautiful this rose is. And there were just a ton of people there and so it's just getting mangled and and, and trashed and, and the petals are falling off and by the time it gets back to this guy it's just a it's just a mess. And, and his big crescendo for why the importance of sexual purity was was that he said, Look at this rose. Look at this rose. This is like you when you're sexually immoral. Who would want this? And the preacher in the audience was just infuriated because he thought Jesus wants that rose. That's the whole point of the gospel. It's that Jesus wants that rose. Friends, Jesus came to save every sort of sexual sinner from the fornicator, live-in boyfriends and girlfriends, to the adulterer, those who cheat on their spouses, 
to lustful men and women, to those enslaved to pornography, to those enslaved in homosexuality, to those whose sexual deviance has led them to break the laws in shocking and offensive ways. He came to save every type and every stripe of sexual sinner. Jesus also came to save those who love money and stuff. Luke 19 tells the story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, and tax collectors were hated in Jerusalem because they were cheats and liars and crooks. You may hate the IRS, but the IRS is honest. No, they're not. You say, yes, they are. They, these guys, tax collectors back then, they were like police officers that you hear in third world countries that stop drivers not to enforce the law, right? They just stop drivers, they just stop drivers so that they can bribe them and so that they can get money. That's, that's these guys. Tax collectors were cheats and liars and scum and they made their money by taking more than what they should and so they enriched themselves off the backs of innocent victims. Well, Jesus entered through Jericho and he was, he was passing through and the text says this, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Who's got the kid song in your mind? And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, I want you to hurry and come down, for I'm going to your house today. (laughs) So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the house. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to save, to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save lovers of money and stuff. If there was ever a man who loved money, it was Zacchaeus. But he loves it no more now, right? Now he loves Jesus. And his love for Jesus is evidenced by parting with his money, by restoring what he'd stolen, where once there was greed, now there is generosity. This isn't the only time we see Christ's heart towards those enslaved towards money. Do you guys remember the rich young ruler? I'm sure you do. It's a sad story. Because he's a good man. He really is a good man. You'd look at this man and you'd think, there is a good man. When Jesus called him to be willing to forsake all in order to serve him, in order to have him, this good man really couldn't do it. He walked away sorrowful. And do you know why he walked away sorrowful? Because he had tremendous goods. And Jesus called him to be willing to abandon his goods for him. And he, he loved his money. He loved his stuff. And so he went away sorrowful when Jesus told him he had to leave it behind. 
But I'm struck by what the text says about Jesus right before he gave him this hard call to repent. The text says Jesus, quote, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. So what was Jesus' heart towards this young man? This young man he knew who would walk away from him and was enslaved to his sin. He wasn't disgusted. He wasn't offended. He wasn't angry. He loved him. He loved him and his heart toward him was longing for repentance. Just think about today. You know what this means? It means Jesus came to save Ponzi schemers like Bernie Madoff. Stole millions of dollars from innocent people. He came to save people like that. He he came to save used car dealers who sell rusted out cars presented as rust-free cars. He came to save husbands or wives who are selfish towards themselves and they're selfish I'm sorry, they're selfish towards their spouse and they're selfish towards their kids, but they're generous with themselves. He came to save them. He came to save the one who congratulates himself on wise financial management, but whose giving to the church is token and paltry. He came to save the greedy. Have you ever been around somebody and you kind of thought, you know, I think the most dangerous thing that could come in between me and this person is a $5 bill. He came to save people like that. He came to save those who love their money. He came to save those who love their stuff. Let's think about another one. This is one you know very well. Jesus came to save the wayward and the reckless. Luke 15. And and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and let's celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now I know you know that parable, but you know what's crazy encouraging about that parable? It's the father's heart. The father clearly represents God in this parable and he doesn't just forgive his son. He doesn't just allow his son to come home. He runs to his son. And why? Because his heart was full of compassion towards him. And I want you to think about the insanity of that compassion towards this frankly terrible son this son who'd not loved his father this son who'd only used his father this son who'd wasted everything his father had given to him compassion mercy love acceptance that's the heart of the father towards this wayward and reckless kid you know what it seems like to me it seems like the more gone you are the more God's heart beats in mercy towards you. Jesus came to save the wayward and the reckless. Jesus came to save the hopeless. I want to just read you a text. Listen to it. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and she had spent all that she had. She was no better, but she rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment for she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and he said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in all around you, and yet you ask us, Who touched me? And he looked around, and he saw who had done it. The woman, knowing that what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling, and she fell down before him, and she told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman was hopeless. Amen? She's got a debilitating physical issue. She's exhausted every possible avenue and every possible resource. Nothing worked. No doctor could identify or remedy her situation. No money left in the bank. Twelve years of suffering, no end in sight. She's hopeless. And so she turns to Jesus and Jesus heals her. The physical healings in the book of John and in the other gospels and in the Acts... They are more than what they appear to be on the surface. Number one, they, they validate Jesus as the Son of God. You should know that. But number two, they point to spiritual realities. In this case, the reality of spiritual sickness 
Spiritual sickness that no expert can remedy. Spiritual sickness that no amount of money can take care of. Spiritual sickness that can be debilitating. Think about yourself, the weight of your own sin. The weight of someone else's sin who sinned against you. The weight of your circumstances. These things can be crushing. You can labor under the weight of these things for years, trying this and trying that and hoping this will work and hoping that will work. And maybe it does for a while and to a degree, but maybe it doesn't. And they can lead you to what? Hopelessness. Just like this woman. Hopelessness. You know, you don't have to look far to find hopelessness in today's world. The full-time chaplain at the Air Guard base that I go to occasionally to minister, he, had, he told me, he said, I had 14 saves this year. And I was like, I, I didn't know what he meant. 14 men and women who were near taking their lives that he intervened with. 14 men and women who were hopeless enough that they were soon to take their lives. Society, it just honestly, it, it's, it seems like hopelessness is on the rise and hopefulness is on the decline. We seem to be the most affluent and technologically advanced culture in all of history, and yet we also seem to be the most depressed and anxious and fearful culture in history. But Jesus came for the hopeless. In fact, some of you, it was your hopelessness that drove you here to Redeeming Grace Church, wasn't it? You you know who you are. You were just like this woman. It was your hopelessness that drove you to Jesus. And what you found was something better than experts. What you found was something better than circumstances changing. What you found was a savior. A Savior who heals you of your ultimate affliction, sin, by dying on the cross and rising again. Because the scripture says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus is the answer for hopelessness. By the way, believer, if you're struggling with hopelessness currently, if you feel like the world is dark and crashing in around you, Jesus is still your answer, okay? So if you are feeling hopeless and you're a note taker, I want you to write down, Jesus is still my answer. Talk to a mature Christian at church if this is you this morning. Talk to me. The Lord does not promise to make everything rosy and sweet. He does not. But he will give you everything that you need to live your life for the glory of God. Jesus also came for the murderous and for the hateful. That seems like a shocking switch. Fair enough. I actually want you to just think for a second about the Apostle Paul. Do you know what he was doing before he became a Christian? You actually don't have to wonder in Acts 7, Stephen is stoned to death. Stephen was a godly, godly man. And Acts 8 opens like this. And Saul, which was Paul's name before he became Paul, and Saul approved of his execution. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts chapter 9 opens like this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Did you... Did did you... Did you... going to read it again? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, which is what they called Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And if that's you, you just say, okay. Right? (laughs) This is Paul. This is Paul before he was converted. He was a man on a mission to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Simple as that. He was murderous. And God saved him. Because Jesus came for men and women like this. He came for men and women like extreme Muslims who persecute Christians in the Middle East. He came for men and women like LGBTQ plus activists in the U.S. that rage against the church and advocate for policies geared towards silencing her. He came for men and women like that. Jesus came for people like this. Jesus came for John Newton. You know who John Newton is? He penned Amazing Grace. One of the most well-known hymns today. Do you know what he was before he was a Christian? A lot of you do. He was a slave trader. A slave trader. And he came for seemingly tamer forms of hatred and murder. I know we can look at those and we can think, whew, I am glad that's not me. But Jesus came... For those who stew over past offenses and despise others. Oh, that's not a big deal, you say. Oh, yes it is. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that those who harbor anger in their hearts are murderers. Jesus came for those who stew over past offenses and despise others. Jesus came for the woman whose fuse is so short that her kids and her husband walk on eggshells around her. Jesus came for the daughter who can't speak a kind word about her mom or her dad. Jesus came for the one who can't even find it in his heart to forgive. Jesus came for the racist. Jesus came for the bigot. Jesus came for the -the run-of-the-mill angry person who thinks he's just better than everybody else. But friends, if God had mercy on Paul... Don't you think he wants to have mercy on others? I do. And actually, Paul himself says so. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. 
But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. The mercy of God showed to Paul is intended, actually, to be a parable of history for others who would afterward repent of their murder, of their hatred, of their anger, of their bitterness, of their pride. It's beautiful. Jesus wants to show mercy to others just like this. Which brings me to my next point. Jesus also came to save the religious and the proud. You know, honestly, what's interesting about the Apostle Paul is that he didn't think that he needed saving. So Paul didn't think that he needed saving. Why? Well, because Paul was convinced that he was righteous. Paul was convinced that all was well between he and God. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He'd given his life to the study and obedience of Scripture. You could just read Philippians chapter 3. That's his spiritual resume. It's impressive, but he did not know Jesus Christ. He was a religious, proud man, and Jesus came to save the religious and the proud. He came to save the religious. You know, you can go to church for years and actually not be converted One of the incredible things about the Great Awakening, which was a movement of God in our country in the past, specifically in New England, wherein many came to Christ, one of the incredible things about that time is the number of church people (laughs) who were converted. Upright, respectable, church-going, church-serving, church-loving people being converted the Sunday school teacher realizing that she doesn't have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. The church secretary recognizing that her faith is no deeper than agreement with the facts of the gospel. The deacon is convicted through the preached word that his heart has always been cold towards God. The pastor, yes, even pastors in the Great Awakening, coming to see that he actually doesn't love Jesus, he came to save the religious. He came to save the proud. The man who thinks himself to be a good man, the one who thinks he and God have an understanding, the one who thinks forgiveness is for those who've done really bad things, the one who in almost every conversation things somehow circle back to her accomplishments or her thoughts on every matter. And this ties us nicely into the last one. Jesus came to save those who know they're sinners. So, you know, in my head, when I read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I read it exactly like Matt read it. In fact, I think he read it well. I read it like this in my head. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see what I'm saying, right? We, 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 we read it in a, in an over the top, arrogant way where everybody hearing it would be like, yeah, that guy's a punk. 
And there is reason to read it that way. There's, there's, it's not unwarranted. It's not just drama. The text opens up and tells us, essentially, he was arrogant. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So that reading with attitude is, is not unwarranted. But you can trust in yourself that you are righteous and you can treat others with contempt. You can do that much more subtly. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. Unjust. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. You see? Trusting in yourself that you are righteous doesn't have to look like massive, swelling, locker room, jock-like pride. It can be much more subtle, but it is just as damning. Because salvation only comes to those who know they're sinners. Salvation only come to those like the tax collector who cry out in their heart. Doesn't have to be audible, but they have to cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's the good news. The good news is that what Jesus says at the end of the parable, which is, I tell you this, this man, the sinner, went down to his house justified rather than the other because Jesus came for sinners. Amen. He came for the sexually immoral. He came for the money and stuff lovers. He came for the wayward and the reckless. He came for the hopeless. He came for the hateful. He came for the religious and the proud. And this list isn't exhaustive. He came for those who practice the occult. He came for the abusive father. He came for the drag queens. He came for drug addicts and drug dealers. He came for, 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 fill in the blank. Oh, come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak and unstable. Come. No, you are not alone. Come to the foot of the cross and gaze at Jesus Christ, who although he never sinned, he took upon himself the punishment for sin, which is death. He took that punishment so that you don't have to. The good news of the gospel, broken sinner, is that there is a Savior who was broken in your place. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He did it so that you could be forgiven. Forgiven of all of it. All of it. Every last bit of it. Listen, this is the best Christmas gift you are ever going to get. And it is yours if you will turn from your sin. The Bible calls that repentance. And place your trust in Jesus Christ. 
If you want to know about more of what it means to become a Christian, I would love to talk to you about that. Heck, any member of Redeeming Grace Church would love to talk to you about that. And speaking of members of Redeeming Grace, believers, I just want to speak a few words to you. I want you to remember, I want you to let these truths remind you that no one is beyond the realm of forgiveness. Who do you know of in your mind that for whatever reason you think, <laughs> that, that guy, that, that gal's not going to come to Christ? Who do you know of? I think we all would have said that of the Apostle Paul. That guy, who's drawing, off Christ, who's drawing away Christians to kill them? That guy's not going to become a Christian. Oh, he did. Who do you think of? Don't count them out, brothers and sisters. Keep praying. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Keep sharing. And let these truths also, beloved, let them cultivate in your heart a, a, a posture of compassion and mercy towards sinners. So are you merciful towards sinners? You see those lost in sin and do you feel sorrow and, and hope for their salvation? I want you to remember, but for the grace of God, you could be in the same situation. Let that stir you to mercy. And, and let me also say, this is not inconsistent with justice being served. This is a unique and wonderful reality of the Christian worldview. We can at one and the same time affirm that if someone has broken the law, they should be punished to the full extent of the law, and yet at the same time desire that they know Jesus Christ and be forgiven and reconciled to God and count them a brother or sister. That's incredible. And further, let these truths warm your hearts. Just remember this morning, Jesus came for this sinner, that sinner, this sinner, that sinner, this sinner, that sinner. Where are you? <laughs> You're there. Let that truth warm your heart. He came for you, sinner. You are not different in kind to any of the sinners out there. And his grace covered your sin now. His grace covers your sin then. His grace will cover your sin in the future. Remind yourself of that which you have been, been forgiven for because he who is forgiven much loves much. And for those of you here this morning who aren't Christians, allow me to give you a word from the Lord this morning. Number one, don't prop yourself up. You know what it means to prop yourself up? It means to say, judgment won't come to me for whatever reason. That's, that's propping yourself up. The Bible says that if you've broken one commandment, you've broken all. That's a problem. Number two, don't clean yourself up. There could be a response to understanding that you're a sinner that might result in you seeking to make yourself more moral in view of being accepted by God, that's kind of like trying to clean up an oil tanker spill with one roll of bounty. I know bounty is really good. It's better than the generic kind, so I'm told on TV. But it's not enough. 
don't clean yourself up. Don't prop yourself up, don't clean yourself up, and don't believe lies. Don't believe lies that he can't save you after what you've done. Remember the Apostle Paul. Don't believe lies that God will accept you in the end if you try hard. Isaiah says that our righteous deeds, when done in view to receive acceptance by God for them, are as filthy rags. Don't believe that all religions are basically the same. Even a basic understanding of the actual claims of those religions themselves disproves that. Don't believe that you are better than others. What matters is not your relative righteousness compared to others. What matters is your unrighteousness compared to the righteousness of God. He is the one with whom you have to reckon, not somebody else. And then finally, I just want to tell you that judgment will come. His mercy is far. His mercy is deep. His mercy is wide. But his mercy is not forever. And he will judge you. He will condemn you. If you remain in your rebellion against him. Don't believe the lie that it won't come. It will. And so instead, receive his mercy. Believe the gospel. Throw in your lot with Jesus Christ, this baby who was born, who died on the cross, who rose again all to save sinners like you. Will you receive him? He came for the broken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glorious truths. Father, we just want to bask in the aroma of the gospel for a bit. That you came for broken sinners like us. Oh Lord, we are grateful. We will always be grateful. And we worship you with joy because of your great mercy and work. In Jesus' name, amen.